0: They're coming to get you, Monoxide. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Fractured Skulls. Uh, we're recording this late January, but the time I get one out. It'll be February, because we're going to get a head start on Black History Month. Everyone, put up your black squares. It's that time of the year again. Terminator travels alongside Monoxide. How are you doing this fine evening, sir?
1: Dude, this weekend, I've been killing it in Tekken 8. It just came out Friday. It is a thing of beauty. It came out the day after we recorded our last review, so I obviously didn't get to talk about it. But yes, it is a great... Well, it's Tekken. You like Tekken? You're gonna like Tekken
0: 8. I think I don't think I played Tekken since the... Was it Tech Tournament?
1: Which one, the first or second one?
0: The first. I mean, we're going back 20 years.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. So you missed four, five, six Dark Resurrection, Fox 7, Tech and Tech Tournament 2.
0: Yep, everyone had Negan in it.
1: That's 7. And while I wasn't complaining because it's Tekken, it's my game, it just seemed weird that a character like Negan was in Tekken and not in Mortal Kombat.
0: Yeah, because out of all the fighting games, Tekken's like number one, right? The one you're into the most?
1: Me personally, yes. I don't know if it's the number one in the United States. I would figure like Street Fighter or something is number one. Uh, but yeah, Tekken has always been my favorite, not just for the gameplay, but for story. It's just so addicting. I've been playing this game since 97, 98, around that time. The first game was Tekken 2, technically. And uh, yeah, I've just been hooked on the franchise ever since. Um, I can't tell you how many hours that I put into Tekken 3, Tekken 4, Tekken Tag Tournament, Tekken 5. The only one I really didn't play as much was Tekken 6. Long story on why I didn't enjoy that. Tekken Tag Tournament 2, I think my uh, PS4 tells me that I put 250 some odd hours into Tekken 7. And I don't even want to look at how many hours I put into Tekken Tag Tournament 2 because I remember those days, maybe you were even there The days where we used to be in Skype calls up until like 3 in the morning. And I would have a couple of mutual friends who you may know. They'd be asking me, like, yo, you're still playing that damn game? After like four hours of being on the phone with them and we're still talking. I'd be like, yeah, still playing. (laughs) It's just my game. I remember those nights. Yeah. Uh, These were the days of the C-A-W. And uh, if you remember the initials, Y-W-F. It's not for you guys to to understand. That's more of our lingo. Yeah, those are the days.
0: Overall, where where are your thumbs with Tekken 8?
1: I mean, so far it's uh, obviously thumbs up, but I'm speaking out of bias. I think my only complaint right now is that, and I, I still got to keep playing. It feels a little too easy, and it could be just because I've been playing this game for so many years that it may be easy just for me because I've been playing for so long. But it just feels a little too easy. I haven't really lost all that much, but, like I said, there's still more ground to cover, and plus, they're going to be releasing DLC like crazy over the course of the year and shit, so we'll wait and see. See what else they got to offer.
0: Is there any fantasy characters from, like, movies and stuff you would like to see in a Tekken game? I know you said mentioned Seven, they did Negan. Is there any any other characters you like to see enter the Tekken world?
1: Ah, uh, that's a good question. So... I'm trying to think of characters that have not crossed because I already know they put the Terminator, Rambo, Jason and Freddy in Mortal Kombat. So I'm trying to keep it unique. Of uh, And it has to be somebody that I think would uh, balance well. I'm not sure who the heck I would put in, in a Tekken universe because I didn't even expect Negan to ever make an appearance. I just felt it was so out of left field. But I love the trailer that they used. They had the, the whole... The way Negan debuted, they did the whole thing. Just replaced all the Walking Dead characters with Tekken characters. And some of the Tekken characters that were part of Negan's group were like Brian Fury and shit like that, and Miguel. I always thought that was really fucking cool. Um, I'm not really sure who the heck I would put in there maybe uh we'll we'll throw a little curveball maybe detective john kimball or something i don't know oh just throwing a name out there i can't really say for certain uh i would have said rocky but steve fox is the boxer of the game so it's like having two boxers wouldn't work i would however like to see a crossover with some of the virtual fighter characters seeing as in virtual fighter 5 final showdown they give you uh tekken skins to put on the virtual fighter characters so maybe you put some of the virtual fighter characters in there i would love to see that
0: i mean i know he's not a character he's more than just an actor but i would even consider putting like a jackie chan in the game as a like, dlc i think that'd be fun
1: so the problem is jackie chan is too much like uh lei Wu long losing stash, because Lei Wu Long is based off of Jackie Can- Jackie Chan's character from uh, I want to say Rush Hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like a cop and all that stuff, but yeah, people are go- just are going to make the correlation that he's Lei Wu Long, Jackie Chan. That'd be like if you put Bruce Lee in there, well, Martial Law, same thing. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they would be, maybe a Tony Jaa?
0: Tony Jaa? Yeah.
1: Is that how you say it? Tony Jaa? I always thought it was Tony Jaa. I don't know.
0: No, you might
1: be right I don't don't know who's right Me or you (laughs) That's true Um, Maybe a a Steven Seagal Or Chuck Norris Throw them in there Imagine Chuck Norris And he's like a final boss type character That is so difficult to beat Um, The only other crossover was Akuma Akuma was in Tekken 7 From the Street Fighter series Some Yeah, they tried to correlate him Into the main story but he's not in Tekken 8, as, as of yet. There's still DLC that's gonna be released. They've only have one character thus far released, that's Eddie Gordo, but we'll see when they start releasing them. But, uh, I remember for Tekken 7, they went about five years constantly releasing new stuff for the game. So who knows what they're gonna do with Tekken 8? Because now their releases for titles are few and far between. Tekken 7 came out in 2017. This game just came out this year, so it's almost a seven-year gap.
0: I mean, I got one suggestion. It would be way out of left field, and he just would not fit the Tekken world. But fuck it, they could get away with it now. It'd be Mickey Mouse.
1: I guess. Only because in Tekken 3, there was a an, a manga character named Gon, who's like a little miniature dinosaur that was in it. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have Gon, you're going to have, I guess, Mickey Mouse or... or Remember for that period when Mortal Kombat 11 was coming out, people wanted Shaggy from Scooby-Doo to be in the game? Yeah. Yeah, maybe put in Shaggy. And when I say Shaggy, I mean Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, not Shaggy 2-Dope. There you go, the ICP, Insane Clown Posse, put them in there. <laughs> zoinks! Zo- zoinks, Scoob! Shaggy or, or the Insane Clown Posse, and the Insane Clown Posse, like, pours Fago is one of their finishers. In your eyes. That would be awesome.
0: Oh, yeah, in a DLC, they have, like, a, a Juggalo Arena or something.
1: A Juggalo <laughs> Arena? Yeah, it's a bunch of fucking Juggalos about to, like, uh, riot if Violent J and Shaggy don't win. Maybe have yeah. some uh, some old-school ICP music in the background. I mean, it, you can do that. Look at Tekken Tech Tag Tech Tournament 2. They, they have an actual fighting stage and a song where Snoop Dogg is in the background and there's a song. Mm. yeah see
0: see look we, we got some we got some cool ideas we, we could do to spice up these games
1: there you go and listen uh bandai namco i'm a tekken fan i've been a fan for 27 years i bought the game day of release so it's not like i'm just talking shit here i am a fan i've bought every single tekken game other than maybe ones that were on consoles that i didn't have like the psp versions but yes, I played all the mainline Tekken games As well as Tekken Tag Tournament 2 1 and 2 So, I am a fan And and I came to your defense When that movie, that d- d- Disgraceful movie came out that we reviewed on here <laughs> yeah. Okay I came to your aid Because those are assholes That, that, that took that, They were like Vince McMahon with that girl They took a shit on your head And I, mean, I was there to clean it up
0: Unfortunately you're there. Yeah, unfortunately, Bullshit. You, you know, we were just brainstorming stages, and I got a crazy idea. It's similar to the movie we're going to be reviewing, and uh, have a fighting stage in a black and white house replica of Night of Living Dead. I think it'll work more for Mortal Kombat. You know, stage is all black and white, and then you just fight while like zombies are trying to break in in the background. Boom.
1: Oh I, I know there isn't undead characters in Tekken I mean they in the last game have a character by the name of Kazumi who's supposed to be Kazumi's mother but she in storyline is already dead in fact she died before the events of Tekken 1 but she's in there because in the main story they do a flashback with her and Heihachi and how that all came to be and how she dies and all that stuff By um and with Tekken Tag Tournament, Tekken Tag Tournament brings every single character that's existed in the franchise all in one game. But as far as dead characters, I don't think they've ever had a dead character come back or, or be undead. Now, Mortal Kombat, they had Liu Kang undead for some odd reason. But yeah, um, as far as Night of the Living Dead, that there is no Undertaker-like character that I can think of in these games. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Zafina, but she's Egyptian and she's not like undead and stuff, so.
0: just I think It's just a fun idea. I think just having a stage set in that environment would be cool. And the music could be the soundtrack from the movie, or whatever score they used.
1: I mean, to be fair, they got two bears that are fighting characters. So if you can have bears, and I remember in Tekken 3, they were supposed to have a, a character, I think by the name of Saki which is Japanese for Salmon. And it's literally just a Salmon that flip-flops on the on the stage. The mm-hmm. only reason it, it never made it to the uh, arcade or to the final version of the game was they felt like they would be ripping gamers off. if they put a quarter in and they pick Saki and it's just a joke character where you can't do shit. You just flip-flop. Every time you press a button, all he does is flop. And you can't attack. It's a joke character. So that's why Saki never came to existence. I see. Yes.
0: Well, we got a. Well, we're not much at but we got some new stories. We're going to dive right into it. Let's check, check it, out. it out. Well, first things first, here's an interesting uh, story. Dylan, Actors Dylan O'Brien and Corey Michael Smith will star as Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase in the film SNL 1975. The film follows a real-life behind-the-scenes account of the opening night of Saturday Night Live. Interesting! So it's like a biopic. Of sorts, about the first episode of SNL. Do you know who the first ever host was?
1: I do not. If my mom was here, if she was alive, I could have asked her, because she would have probably known that. But I don't
0: George Carlin I believe it So So they're gonna do I guess a Picks about the Pilot episode Who would they cast To play George Carlin And hell Who would they cast As Belushi
1: Yeah Well even Dan Aykroyd Dan Aykroyd's not A young spring chicken If you're trying to do Dan Aykroyd in 1975 I highly doubt You're gonna get The actual Dan Aykroyd
0: Oh no 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 I mean Dylan O'Brien He's gonna play uh, Aykroyd in the film He plays He does that show Teen Wolf On MTV Mm-hmm. So he's gonna. I mean, I, I guess the actors are good. I mean, they're either gonna be really good or really bad.
1: Well, it, it's harder when you're trying to get somebody to play an actual person.
0: Yeah, it's always it's, a challenge.
1: It's a big challenge. It's it's so big that freaking when Jimmy Jim Carrey was trying to be Andy Kaufman for Man on the Moon, apparently he went into character twenty four seven. People had to refer to him as Andy
0: method acting yes
1: yeah i guess but he did the role well i'll give him that but this snl movie i mean what precipitated them to make an snl movie
0: i don't know i guess i mean the idea as title snl in 1975 i mean it does interest me i was i was never a big snl guy but I'm a big fan of a, of a lot of the actors I've come from SNL over the years. I mean, the show's been out crazy. We're going 50, 50 years now? Or if we're it coming out, out in the that's probably when it's going to come out, I would think, the movie.
1: Yeah, if it came out in 1975, that's 50 years almost.
0: And Aykroyd's still with us. And Chevy.
1: Chevy Chase, yeah. Uh, but. I
0: would, I would assume Lauren Michaels is going to be producing the film.
1: I. I guess, but with. Um... It's going to be very interesting how they portray some of the actors that have been long gone. Like, again, John Belushi is a guy that you want to be very careful with on who you pick because he's a legendary actor in his own right. And I, I, I don't know if you want to say mythical because he's been gone for so long, mm-hmm. but he has been gone for over 40 years. He died in like 82, I think. <laughs> Yeah. But then again, if you ask Hulk Hogan, he uh partied with John Belushi after WrestleMania me, too.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, how they're going to tell the story, how they're going to... I mean, it says it's going to be about the opening night, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, who are they going to get to play Gilda Radner? I mean, it's still, yeah, a lot of legendary actors who are on that pilot uh, season. I mean, I think Bill Murray, he came on the second season. He was supposed to be on the first season but uh i think they didn't have enough room they already casted everyone in. oh well, yeah you don't oh, want to real... play I, I, I wonder how ramus because they're gonna have to also cast the people who uh did the national lampoon a lot of um uh, because for those that don't know snl got all their talent from national lampoon they literally all the writers the actors lauren michaels is look really national lampoon. okay who can we sign let's get this guy let's get this writer that's basically how they got their cast. It's almost like it was almost like National Lampoon was like the farm system, and then it was literally the farm system to SNL,
1: or the AWA to SNL's WWE. Exactly. You can say, uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like I said, uh, I I don't know where they're gonna go with this uh, to make a movie, a full length movie on just based on the the first night of SNL. I would presume it's not just going to be that night. It's going to be in the lead-up to them making that first episode, which would eventually lead to the legendary run that SNL has gone through. hmm So. Just to see how they approach it. So it
0: would be very interesting. I, I'm interested.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think my dad would be interested. I think he watched the original SNL. The SNL skits that I've watched... That I really liked are obviously the ones with uh, Dana Carvey, Phil Hartman, Chris Farley, etc. I, I, I was a big fan of, uh, what's his face, Dana Carvey's impression of both John McLaughlin and uh, Ross Perot. Mm-hmm. But that's like 20 years after the original SNL. So
0: Yeah, 20, yeah, because Dana, he came in the mid-80s. Phil Hartman came in around that same time. And then, like, once 1990, 1990 came in, that's when Farley, Spade, Sandler, Chris Rock, even though they didn't really do much with him, Rob Schneider, all those guys came in. And then that was kind of like the SNL that everyone, I guess, as a 90s kid, that was that was their crew.
1: Yeah. And uh, it's just a shame that people like Dana Carvey didn't do much afterwards.
0: Well, yeah, no. because he had Wayne's World, and then they tried... I know he did have one of two starring roles and then they those movies flopped. Then that's when Hollywood Hollywood just kinda gave up on him as a starring leading guy.
1: Yeah, the one I remember was Masters of Disguise.
0: Oh that that was the nail in the coffin.
1: Yeah. Even though I didn't hate it as much as everyone else did, I did not hate that movie. I'd have to rewatch it to remember. I just remember it was it was a movie. It was a movie. And it was a family movie. That's all I remember. Uh,
0: well, we get to our next news story. We have. It's about uh, Universal. Okay. Universal's epic universe theme park will launch from Florida in 2025 with lands for Super Nintendo World, another Harry Potter uh, park, Mystery of, Ministry of Magic, How to Train Your Dragon Isle of Burke, and the Dark Universe. The Dark, the Universal Monsters. Universal has resurrected the Dark Universe branding for their new theme park land. Releasing in 2025. Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: Because back in the day, they always had a, um, tribute to all of the old school, uh, Universal characters such as the Monsters in and of itself. And I don't think you got to see it. You got to see, like, the tail end of it. But they used to still have some of that stuff in Universal's park. So I guess they're just taking all that and putting it into this new one. Um, Still, though, you should theoretically have a section for some of the old school reminiscent of what made Universal the conglomerate that it is. And... Mm -hmm. It's like a, a perfect example of this, and I don't know which park it was, but I remember on one episode of Angry Video Game Nerd, uh, this was when he was reviewing the Universal Studios game for the GameCube, he mentioned that one of the parks had a theater that hosted Phantom of the Opera, and it was like a hundred-year-old building that was historical. And he considered it a landmark, and they tore it down for a Harry Potter ride. I want to say it was California, only because I know in in Orlando the the two the, the the one area that that's Gringotts, that area, the Diagon Alley, that basically took over Jaws. And as far as the Harry Potter that took over in Hogsmaid over in Islands of Adventure, I'm not sure what that took over. I think it took over like Forgotten Island, which is pretty much why now we no longer have the uh, show. What was that show that we saw? Yeah, uh, uh,
0: the- I know. What- yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah.
1: Science Fury, I think it was called. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because they've been slowly getting rid of some of that. And I'm just that that really broke my heart. But getting back to what you were saying. Epic Universe. Yeah. So it's 2025. Then you got the Super Nintendo World. That was the, the selling point. That contract was signed as far back as 2017. That That's oh, no, no. Was it 2017 or 2016? Because I remember when it was announced, uh, two people part of James Rolfe's camp, they were talking about it and they said that it would be stupid if all it is is just a a section where it's a bunch of wii us or switches and you're just playing them and it's just got a whole bunch of things where there's no rides or whatever but as we've seen with japan and we've seen with california that is not the case there's actually going to be rides
0: gonna say yeah i mean that'd be such a wasted opportunity we
1: could just go to new york to do that pretty much yeah because we got uh nintendo new york but now The funny thing is, is that this park was supposed to open, I think, a year ago. If if everything had gone according to plan, it was supposed to open a year ago.
0: But
1: unspecified virus
0: of unknown origin.
1: Oh uh, yeah, that came along and halted all those plans. And that was that was one of the worst things because yes, now we got to wait till next year for this epic universe, no pun intended, to open. And I know for a fact when it opens. I am booking my vacation there. For <laughs> sure. Um, and I would have to upgrade my pass to reflect on being able to go to that park as well because I know for a fact I'm definitely going to that. No questions asked. A Super Nintendo World section? Like, that that's a dream come true that I would have asked so many years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's freaking awesome.
1: <sighs> and... I think this contract was signed back in 2016, 2017, and finally we're getting it realized.
0: Yep, so yeah, so Universal got in bed with Nintendo almost a decade ago just to make this happen. I'm pretty sure, you know, the movies were included in that contract to help kind of sell
1: the park. Yeah, and, and here's the thing though. This is the thing that nobody realizes. Is that around the time they signed the contract, which would have been 2017, so right around the Switch's birth, Nintendo's last console, the Wii U, was a colossal flop. Fucking flop beyond any recognition. And the reason it was a flop was because when the Wii U was first advertised in 2011 with its trailer, they fucking advertised it as like a peripheral. It, it was a peripheral to the Wii. The whole, um, whatchamacallit, the tablet controller. Then they also made it seem like you could bring it anywhere with you. But you can't. It has to be connected to your Wii U and you can only be in the same household. That's when the Switch rectified it and made it what the Wii U was initially thought to be. Um, I see you uh, sent me a photo of this. So, uh, of this park and what it's going to look like. Dragons Alaburk. Burke. I don't know what that's based off of um harry potter ministry of magic yeah it's in i think it's in the contract that um any universal park that opens up has to have something harry potter themed helios dark universe celestial park and super nintendo world out of everything that's here i'm obviously interested in three the super nintendo world no questions as harry potter ministry of magic from what i read it's supposed to be based off the fantastic beast and Dark Universe, as you mentioned, it's going to pay homage to some of the old-school Universal Monsters, which I'm pretty excited to look at. Uh, I'd I like to see some of the creature from the Black Lagoon, or the Mummy, or Dracula, or what is it? Alucard.
0: Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I think that, that should just be a whole horror section in general, but yeah, obviously the Universal Monsters being the big mascots leading in.
1: Now, would that also include, because it technically wasn't a Universal picture, but they've always included them in there. What about King Kong? Uh
0: probably. I mean... I mean, they already have a King Kong ride there.
1: Yeah, but here's the thing. That's based off the 2005 onwards franchise. Before that, they had a ride called Confrontation, which was based off of the original King Kong. Matter of fact, after this recording, I'll send you a link and you, you need to watch the video because somebody has a POV of what Confrontation looked like. And to put it into context, That ride was taken over by The Mummy that we've gone on. But if you watch this and look at what we could have rode if it didn't close in 2002, this is what I envision a Kong ride to be. But they have paid homage to the original King Kong from the 30s. Did they buy out uh, Randy Keith Orton pictures?
0: I'm not sure who owns RKO pictures to be exact. I, I know the rights to their movies have kind of gone off to different people. I know King Kong uh, has bounced around with several studios over the decades. I know right now I think it's owned by Legendary Pictures, and they work with Warner Brothers to distribute the, uh, the Kong movies, especially the, the Godzilla crossovers. Yeah, cause, and soon, I mean, in another in another decade, that's going to be public domain.
1: Yeah, because. When we go to Universal, being that you have a car, you can go park in the parking lot. They have like different sections. They still have King Kong. When, yeah. When the park first opened up, King Kong was one of the feature rides. Yeah, the because park I
0: mean, if they're based in their Kong of the 2005 movie, yeah, they own rights to that version of Kong, so that's the one they're going to go with.
1: Yeah, yeah, but they also, when the park first opened in Orlando back in the 90s, mm-hmm. like early 1990s, Kong, the original 1933 Kong, was one of their feature rides. Mm-hmm. That's basically why I'm wondering. Like, does Universal have some sort of intellectual property right to it? Don't know. Um,
0: I have um, to look into that. I'm not sure. Like, it I said, matter in another several years because it's because the original came out 32, so it's like.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, a, a lot of that's gonna be
0: interesting once all these characters go up for uh, uh, domain. Like anyone can do it.
1: Yeah. So uh, which call it? the original King Kong, we did review on here. I would hope that they pay homage to it. Um. But yeah. As far as this new park, yeah, I'm I'm totally excited. This is something I've been waiting seven, eight years when they announced it, and um, I was so excited. But then 2020 came along and halted those plans to prolong it even more and uh i i don't know if they announced rides per se i i think we pretty much know what super nintendo is going to have because it's going to be the same as the japan and california one but i don't know if they announced any rides for the ministry of magic if they announced a ride for dark universe or any of these other ones
0: well yeah if though if the harry potter section is going to be based off the fantastic beast i may have to watch those movies just to get an idea
1: yeah it's a prequel yeah, so I definitely want to watch those as well, but I want to watch it with the the wifey because she's a big fan of the franchises. Well, and uh yeah, that'll get me hype. Now I want to go back to writing my fan fiction. Thank you, Universal, for getting my 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 juices flowing with this whole news.
0: Yeah, but it seems like they're gonna all four sections are gonna be opening up next year.
1: The question is when next year, because usually I like to go. The two months I like to go is April for my birthday and October for Halloween Horror Nights. So,
0: if I had to take a guess, they should have it up in my prediction before the summer of 2025.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right because that's when. Velocity- the summer is
0: usually when things pick up. You know, the tour the summer; everyone's off. They want to go to parks, Florida. I mean, I'd be a perfect time to have those sections up.
1: Yeah, especially the holidays of
0: 2025.
1: But well, Lost the Coast opened up in June of 2021. But the thing is, the Jimmy Fallon ride, I remember, opened up in April of 2017. And I only know that because me and the wifey got the soft opening date, which means that if you had a fast pass, you get early access to the ride yeah. itself. So after we went nearly 10 and a half hours of... Universal and Islands of Adventure we decided to uh dip our toes into um Jimmy Fallon to finally get to ride that before the public could. And uh yeah, it's all right, but <clears throat> I
0: they want to tear down Jimmy Fallon for <laughs> another <laughs> for for in mean, a temple like donkey Kong ride. Fuck, I'm down. Tear that shit. Yeah, burn but it down.
1: Yeah, burn it down. Uh, I remember, I never forget this, like, hearing that WWE wanted to do a theme park, there was, like, rumblings of it. And I said, yo, if they released a whole roller coaster similar to the Hulk coaster, but it's Braun Strowman, that'd be fucking great. Like, every time you get shot out, it's just Braun going, Brawr! And right when you get paused, and right before you drop down, it's him screaming, I'm not finished with you! Fucking drop. I <laughs> mean, that's... Fantastic. But now, I just want to know what rides they have. They need to have that stuff. Because here's the thing Universal was getting a lot of flack around the mid to late 2010s because they were doing mostly simulation rides, which they have their place. I, I think people are a little too harsh on simulation rides. They have their place, it depends on the franchise. Transformers, yes, needs it. Spider-Man, either or. I think simulation is fine, at least the one they did. But there was this period where that was all they were releasing. It was like all these rides where you need the goggles and it's like just a simulation. And I think, fa- uh, what's my it? Called? Fast and Furious is what pretty much pissed everybody off to that point where it's like, yo, for real, another one? That's when they started pumping out all this great shit: Hagrid's Motorbike Ride, Velociraptor. I can only imagine what Epic Universe is going to have. It's going to get to a point where Universal is going to be a, a stiff competition to Disney. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think I definitely with the Harry Potter edition, that was a big, that was a big W for Universal.
1: Hundred percent, a big L for Disney as well. And then on top of it, Disney being. Ridiculously arrogant thinking Oh, well, We're Disney people are going to want to go to us Not realizing yeah. that you're catering To the top 1% that can afford To go to your place
0: Yeah and it doesn't but, help that your Star Wars hotel Theme was a huge flop
1: That and uh, let's not forget Every fucking week that I go on Skype And we do this podcast And talk about Disney The one thing we got to talk about is how woke they've gotten That also doesn't help Because quite frankly Here's the thing, people, if I go to Disney and I'm seeing mascots dressed up trying to portray a character, the one thing is, if I'm seeing Tinkerbell walking around, I don't want her with a mustache. I want Tinkerbell. I want a female playing Tinkerbell. Oh, wait, now now we're getting canceled. Sorry.
0: But we did cover on this podcast that they're spending, what, several billion dollars on their theme parks, their cruise ships over, like, the next decade. Um, I don't know if you saw the clip, but um, recently um, they opened up a new spot in Spain where you can actually walk into Andy's room and everything's like, like you're like the size of the toys and like everything. You got the big bedroom, the big uh, bed, the big ball, and it's
1: yeah. real. Cool. Yeah, that would be interesting, but I'm assuming you'd have to pay an arm and a leg to stay there.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, but, um, but just seeing like the room, like, oh my god, we're in Andy's room, the hardwood floors, it, it was pretty awesome to see, I mean, there's definitely, I mean, honestly, Disney still has a lot of tricks in their sleep that they can still pull off. It's just that I don't want to freaking donate my kidney to go see it.
1: Right, but the one time that I went to Disneyland, the one in California, I technically got in for free. If I had paid for that whole day for five parks, it would have been $100, and this was 2012. I can imagine what the price is in 2024. And on top of it, it's like you first you'll never be able to do everything in one day at Disney. It's, It's impossible. Their park, even though I love Universal to death, their park is not as big as Disney. Disney has like five theme parks. And it's impossible, even on probably the deadest of days to be able to do everything all in one day. you pretty much need a couple days if your goal is to do every single thing that Disney has to offer so that concluded with the fact that they charge so much for their fucking tickets that's why I've never really gone to the Florida one because it's just like I'd rather just go to Universal the price is not cheap much cheaper than freaking Disney so And I think that they're a little, they're not 100% not woke because they obviously have the Love Is For Everyone shirts there, but they're so innocuous that you can overlook it. So I'd rather stick with Universal, and Epic Universe is going to add more to that fandom.
0: Yeah, but yeah, with the Epic Universe here, they definitely have to expand. I I don't know how popular the water park uh, theme is.
1: Oh, Volcano Bay?
0: Yeah uh Because if that's underperforming compared to the other two, I don't know about you, but I would a- honestly consider tearing that down. I wouldn't get rid of all the water rides. I mean, because it is Florida. Yeah. So- I would definitely. I would mix it up. I mean, like like in Universal, um like we have the Popeye ride, the Jurassic Park ride,
1: Dudley Do Right. And, and,
0: and, yeah, and those are still fun. Dudley Do Right, you just said that, yeah.
1: So here's the issue. You're not familiar because you only started going within the last year. Yeah. When I started going, there was a water park called Wet n Wild. And uh, none of you people, unless you've gone to International Drive, are going to know what I'm talking about. But Travis will definitely know what I'm talking about. Literally, when you go out of the hotel and you take a left, as it, if we were walking towards the IHOP, the KFC and the, the Walgreens, Across the street from there, that big freaking hotel building that you see called the Endless Summer or whatever it's called. That used to be wet and wild. That was the the water park that had been there since the 70s, even before Universal. Universal bought that park out, ran it, and then around 2015, 2016 decided to scrape it to make way for Volcano Bay. So I don't know if Volcano Bay is underperforming, but if it is, let's just say, say for the sake of argument it is. I think it's because it's so not so far out but it is out of the way because wet and wild was right there and universal and islands of adventure are right next door to each other and they're so close together that it just it works so well to have that whole package as opposed to if you want to go to volcano bay you got to go all the way down over yonder it's just it's a little out of the way but Mm -hmm. i have not experienced volcano bay i'm sure that if i do i'll Probably have a good time But from what i had seen There's not really anything Universal themed There But then again Neither did Wet n Wild So that's a whole Another story
0: So yeah So that should be fun Coming up in 2025 Now we'll get into our Final news story Your oh. favorite actress Rachel Ziegler
1: <laughs> No relation to Warner Ziegler That helped Gus With his little Lab
0: well, it seems like Disney's going to be trimming her screen time down in the new Snow White movie. That's apparently still
1: happening. How are they going to trim the lead actress?
0: Well, they're adding a subplot to where they're going to show a lot of flashback scenes of a younger Snow White. Well, because Rachel, I mean, this is this is Rachel's undoing. She's gotten so much heat for herself and the movie to the point it's like, I guess it's too late to recast her or get rid of her. It's like... To the point, so now they're adding, I don't know what the subplot is, but they're adding more flashback scenes of a younger Snow White just to kind of give her less screen time, hoping that reducing her screen time will draw more eyes to the movie.
1: Mm, The fact that she's still there is not going to help at all. She made her bed and... She has to sleep in it and and regardless of she's did that on her own volition or you hired her to go ahead and say all that dumb shit The fact that she's starring as Snow White and it has nothing to do with the fact that she's Hispanic It has to do with the fact that she's just generally unlikable If you had gotten a Hispanic girl to play Snow White but she genuinely really was passionate about the role and was putting the movie over, and was showing how much she loved the original, and her memories of watching the original with her mother when she was younger, I'm sure you'll find some whack job that would probably be like, oh, okay. oh that, that dirty little freaking, uh, what do they call it, beaners. I'm just speaking as uh, one of those southern people. Don't don't chop my head off. quoting now. Oh, stupid. Fucking trying to play a Snow White. She's supposed to be white as snow. I'm sure you'll get that, but the majority of people will probably put their opinions aside and be like, "Let's give her a chance." And if she does well, great. A Hispanic Snow White, not a problem. But that's not what we got. We got somebody who joked about somebody getting their whole entire role cut from a iconic movie and made it seem like, eh, it's Hollywood, baby. Completely burying the original movie, which makes you wonder why you even paying homage to the movie in the first place if you're just going to bury it and say the original was no good anyways? I don't know, man. Like, she's just terribly unlikable. And that's that's Disney's fault, and that's her fault. And, uh, do you think she'd be more likable if she came out and admitted that what she said was completely dense?
0: No, but it'll be a step in the right direction, because yes. at least you're going, you're coming to the public, admitting your mistake, which doesn't seem, which is a thing that the left doesn't like to do at all. They never like to admit when they're wrong; they're always right.
1: Yeah, it's a shame, really, because sometimes admitting you're wrong is the the, the biggest strength to have, because it's like you acknowledge your fault, and it's putting your pride aside. So, yeah, yeah, like, come on, just, I, I, but now they're adding flashback scenes, I don't think that's going to do any good. If anything, it's just, it's playing, uh, what do they call it, damage control?
0: That's exactly what, that whole variety interview she did this uh, with this Little Mermaid actress, Ho, Ho, Holly Bailey, that's what that whole thing was, I tried to listen to the whole thing, I couldn't do it, because these girls, oh, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, and that's something, I'm like, I can't take it anymore!
1: My head's going to yeah, freaking explode. They were sucking each other's dicks. Yeah,
0: I'm like, oh my god, what is this shit? Who talks like this?
1: Well, I've and seen... So, you know, and so, so spoken like this. Oh my god, this is so adorable. Oh. Females talk like that to each other all the time, unless it's behind their backs. Then that's when they start saying what they really feel. But in, in person, they're always, like, putting each other over It's all about that. It's, it is what it is, but... It came off more disingenuous because, at least, what's her name? You made her sound like she was Jewish. Holly Berry. Holly, um, yeah. <laughs> did I? <laughs> you had the Holly Berry. You made her seem like she was uh, about to say I blanked
0: like on her name for a quick second.
1: <laughs> yeah. Was, okay. Um, anyways, Holly Berry. She actually did the right thing when she got hated for being a black girl playing mermaid or playing Ariel. She didn't say any stupid shit. She didn't bury the audience. Uh, from what I understand, she kind of kept it quiet.
0: No, she, yeah, she put over the original big time. I mean, you could tell, listening to her, that she was a fan of the original movie.
1: Which is why she didn't get the same hatred. Yeah. Like, people hated the trailer, yes. People thought it was stupid, but I think people started to warm up to Halle Berry because she wasn't being pretentious.
0: Yeah, but people knew, like, she only got the job because of her skin color. So they they didn't hate her. They hated Disney themselves. It's like, well, obviously, this was a diversity hire.
1: Right. But the fact that she did it right and she didn't say anything, she just kept quiet. She did her role. She put over the the original. That's what gave her brownie points. That's Mm -hmm. what at least softened the blow from her getting as much hatred, whereas Warner Ziegler... Now, to be fair, I don't know if Warner Ziegler was getting hate even before she opened her mouth.
0: No, she was just another actress before she opened her mouth. That's how, I mean, I mean, congratulations, people know who you are, but now you're just like a fading star from the looks of it. You're, you just practically killed your own career.
1: Mm-hmm. So, in other words, nobody was really complaining that they hired a Hispanic person to play Snow White. It's just that once she started opening her mouth, that's when it got really bad. If
0: people would have started complaining about the movie once they released the first trailer.
1: Yeah. Well, that and when they realized that there weren't going to be any dwarves, it was just going to be regular fucking people.
0: Yes. Too, yeah.
1: That opened up a whole other can of worms because now we're not talking about somebody's skin color and all that. We're talking about dwarves who... It's, uh, I forget his real name, but his stage name is Hornswoggle. He was fucking angry that they got rid of the dwarves, which is funny because in that interview with Piers Morgan, the one guy said, you shouldn't call them dwarves because that's very offensive. You should call them how they want to be called. And the whole one was like, I'm a dwarf. That's what I am. Stop talking for me like as if you know what's good for me. Anyways, he said he's pissed off because it's like, at the end of the day, there's only so select roles that people of his size can get one of which are elves one of which are like the munchkins in the wizard of oz or in this case dwarves in the snow white series and it's like dude that was such a role for seven people who are dwarves who are looking for work that could have been easy money for them and then not just them but the other seven dwarves that are going to be playing uh, the stunt doubles if there's any stunts that have to be done you just wiped away 14 jobs for some dwarves that could have used the easy money for an iconic movie
0: yeah and for a group for people that, that's uh, that's constantly pushing DEI inclusive inclusivity yeah where's the inclusiveness on the small people the little guys the little the little
1: guys yeah well that's because as Hornswoggle said it's all because of Peter Dinglich going out there and saying what he said oh, Peter Peter
0: he said that just to save his own ass. He wants he wants to get all the dwarf
1: work. Oh, excuse me, that uh, Warwick Davis got in your way.
0: Yeah, how dare he? Yeah. yeah Keep in mind Warwick, he robbed me of
1: those Harry Potter movies. Yeah, and Leprechaun. <laughs> and Leprechaun. Yeah. Fuck. But yeah, it's like... And then on top of it, the damage control they did there was... The original photo they showed the regular people... And people hated it. And then they showed, like, some weird photo op version of the Snow White, of Rachel Ziegler's Snow White, with digitized 3D, whatever the fuck it was, of the dwarves. And it was just like, that looks... First off, they look ginormous. They didn't even look like dwarves. They looked like they were fucking trolls. Right? (laughs) Yeah, it was ridiculous looking.
0: But yeah. I'm surprised. Again, I mean, Warner has been doing it a little too much with the whole ta- tax breaks, cancelling movies, but this is one of those cases where I would make the exception just to use it as a tax break, because no one's going to see this film. This is going to be a gigantic flop. I have a quote here from Bonding in the Comics about the change. Uh, Disney quote, Disney has hired a young actress to play Snow White as a child, so this is already happening. They already casted the young actress. And another quote, the idea is to cut time out for Ziegler's performance, show Snow White as a cute little kid, and soften the character with flashbacks and slash or major origin story portion at the beginning of the film. A further recap, of course, edits have not begun for these scenes as we believe they're not shot yet. So things could change.
1: Could you imagine if the child actress they get to play the young version of Snow White starts saying the same exact dumb shit that Rachel Ziegler starts saying and they're right back to square one?
0: Well, you know well, what they're gonna do once this film comes out, if once they do shoot these sheen sheen scenes, obviously they're gonna have a picture of the young actress and Rachel Ziegler together. Since they're both playing the same character to really help soften the blow. Are you gonna are you gonna boo a young child? You know, and that's the game they're gonna play.
1: Yeah. You don't hate children, do you? I mean No, but we do hate you for hiring said child that wasn't needed for this role because realistically did we need flashbacks to snowy
0: no the fact that they're going out of the way to do this i mean obviously again it's damage control
1: yeah and when we see damage control we're not talking about bailey's group in wwe this is like legit damage control and who could possibly care about this movie at this point because this movie is just it is like you said destined to be a complete and colossal flop yes doa It's dead on arrival, and it's all because Rachel Ziegler opened her mouth. And and the thing is, is that what she doesn't realize is that that film is considered one of the greatest movies of all time. Like, it's not mine, but I can give it the respect. That movie is heralded as a masterpiece. That is a movie that you can show for generations among generations among generations. That movie is going to last longer than any of us. People can show that movie to their daughters. I would presume daughters, because it, it, more girls are going to be infatuated with the story than guys. But mm-hmm. theoretically, anybody can watch it and enjoy it. But you can, if I had a daughter, that is one movie I would be rushing for her to see, along with uh, Wizard of Oz two movies for girls and again you can show them to boys but you can show these movies to girls young girls at that and they can enjoy it and and be infatuated by the fantasy that surrounds it and find the prince charming or uh have uh, what's her face dorothy go home back to kansas you just fucking desecrated on that classic movie That most people are probably so emotionally attached to. Because they grew up with it. Because it came out in the 30s. And probably their parents showed it. Their grandparents showed it to their parents. Their great grandparents showed it to their grandparents. And so on and so forth. So to desecrate on that movie. That masterpiece that most people are emotionally attached to. Yeah you didn't do yourself a lot of favors. You just came up like a spoiled brat
0: you mentioned dorothy and i guess this will be our last story i mean have you heard that they're going to be remaking wizard of oz uh I'm and interested. it's a wonderful life with black uh black actors are just race swapping all the characters
1: so i've heard for years about the idea of being uh wizard of Oz being remade but i did not hear that they're just race swapping
0: even though they already did that in the 70s with the uh, diana ross and michael jackson's the wiz
1: yeah but uh i don't know if I didn't hear about The Wiz until years later. I mean, I obviously heard about The Wizard of Oz, but I'm talking about like a movie that stood the test of time. But the race swap, I I guess with It's a Wonderful Life, it wouldn't matter. Because it's mostly a movie about a guy that would wish uh, life without him, and then he has to see what life would be like without him. You race swap that, that's no big deal. I think anybody could probably be like, oh, it has to be a white It, it doesn't really have to. But wizard it eyes, It's like, the girl's from Kansas. A Kansas in the late 30s.
0: Well, the girl will this town be from Birmingham, Alabama.
1: Or uh, is it going to be from Compton? <laughs> or Compton? And Compton? I don't fucking know. Don't be race swapping just for the sake of race swapping. That's you exactly just,
0: why they're doing it.
1: That's the problem. If you just... If can you not, like, race swap for the sake of it and only do it when it feels natural? Who is the guy that played Commissioner
0: Gordon in the latest Batman film? Uh, Jeffrey Wright. He's actually been nominated for an Oscar for this new film, American Fiction. Okay.
1: Obviously, I don't know if they hired him just because he was black, but he played the role fine. Because it didn't matter. He was good. We'll We'll take it 30 years back. In the first two Batman films... Harvey Dent is played by Billy D. Williams, a black man. Did it matter? Fuck no, because we knew that Billy D. Williams at that point, because he wasn't Two Face yet, he was just Harvey Dent. He was fine for the role. He's a good actor. He's a good. Well, there you go. He Batman and uh, Star Wars. So you can always rely on on Billy D. Williams to do the role justice. Like, I highly doubt that uh, Tim Burton hired him because he's black and we need a black actor we need to have a black actor it doesn't if, if you hire somebody who's of a different race than what the character is supposed to be it has to be natural it has to be like well this person despite their race could pull off this role fine
0: yeah or they could bring something unique to the character that that otherwise may have been missing or they may bring the own take to the character that the studios will to bank on yeah, We got with Heath Ledger We got a hell Nolan's uh, Bane With uh, Tom Hardy Obviously the, the uh, Bane in that film And the Bane From the animated series Are two different Banes But they're both yeah. good
1: Exactly And nobody thought That Heath Ledger Was going to pull That Joker role At all Everyone thought He was going to suck But then That dude Proved us wrong Tenfold So And look Hey Look at it this way the man who played Luke Skywalker voiced the Joker. Imagine that. But it was a natural thing as opposed to, well, hmm, we got a Wizard of Oz movie that we want to remake, but it has to be an all-black family. I'm rendered I, mute.
0: Yeah, someone made a joke on Twitter. I mean, could you imagine if they were to remake Godfather with like, an all-Asian family? And yeah. Godfather is played by Ken. What's that guy? He was on Monday Night Raw. He co-hosted with Jeremy Piven. Oh,
1: Doctor Ken. Yeah, I know.
0: Yes. Well, they got Doctor Ken to play Vito.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ! And it, it is fucking Jackie Chan gonna be Salazzo or some shit? <laughs> and who, who's gonna be Mike? Who's gonna be Mike Corleone? We, we need Mike. We need Fredo. We need um, Sonny.
0: Probably who? Uh, Simon Liu. He played um. Uh, shang Chi, they probably make him Michael.
1: I'm rendered mute, ladies and gentlemen.
0: This yeah, but that's how- the direction we're going. We, you know, we need to modern audiences. I mean, that's that's what's happening. That's what they're doing with all. They're looking at all the classic films. We need to remake these for modern audiences.
1: Yeah, I think you're. They're all full of shit. For modern audiences, my ass. Yeah, well, we're still
0: trying to find them, soon because they haven't shown up for any of these movies yet.
1: I don't think they care yeah because they don't exist exactly the ones that do exist they're few and far between they're just very loud
0: yeah and they're pushing away your current existing audience for a different whole different fantasy audience that doesn't exist mm-hmm. and in the end nobody wins well let's get to our film discussion sure and we got a classic in our hands this is considered to be out of all the cult films that have out of all films that have a cult following this one is the biggest there was a documentary i saw called the midnight movie and it showed uh it it talked about you know how movies like they like you have your mainstream movies obviously Uh your studio made movies and then you have what they call the midnight movies for the most part those were the grindhouse films the films that may not be that may not appeal to a mainstream audience But it may appeal to uh let's say a late night audience the midnight crowd those kind of films and Mm -hmm. some of those films have eventually broken out to a mainstream audience Uh, i know they highlighted six films and one of the films they talked about was uh the rocky Horror picture show and how that film basically became a huge cult following to the point you have merchandise you have plays but um, it is not considered... to. But the only other film that surpasses that would be the original Night of the Living Dead. A film that started a sub-genre in the horror uh, category, and that is Zombies. I mean, when it comes to vampires, I guess you could trace that back to Bram Stoker? I guess he wrote the first ever vampire story with Dracula?
1: You could say that. You could say um, that?
0: I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, so...
0: But when it comes to zombies... This is where it all started. This is the film. Every film, filmmaker wished they could say, I made Night of the Living Dead. I made that movie. It has been over almost 60 years since the film originally came out. And to this very day, we still get zombie content. We have a TV show, The Walking Dead. We've had comic books. Other filmmakers around the world have have made, have, have, t- have tackled the zombie A property. The zombie idea. And it all started with a young filmmaker from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania named George Romero. Who had this idea.
1: So, let me get my feelings out of the way of the movie. Because, obviously... I'm not the the movie buff like you are. So, obviously you have more knowledge of this. This was my first time viewing this film. Yes. So, I after watching it, equate this movie to Goldeneye. what do I mean by that? So if anybody has ever played Goldeneye for the N64, Goldeneye is heavily revered as one of the greatest N64 games and one of the greatest games of all time because it was literally the catalyst to the first person shooter. The thing is, though, is that if you have played first-person shooters and that's your main genre, but you've played all of the ones after GoldenEye, which were successful, more than likely, the second you play GoldenEye, you're not going to like it because it's kind of dated. It feels dated because it's been obviously polished and made for, (laughs) we keep saying modern audiences, but for real, It's been polished to the point where now with technology being advanced and everything being advanced and directors who are directly inspired off a said publisher or whatever, they've been able to take that property and make it better. And I imagine if you play GoldenEye first, and obviously you're going to love it. When I watched this movie, I felt that same thing with GoldenEye, which is I can see how this movie resonated because a lot of what I saw in this movie is what I see in a lot of zombie uh, stories, which is a group of people find sanctuary and try to protect themselves from the ongoing zombie onslaught. However, because the, the genre has advanced and evolved over time, this movie is obviously black and white. Um, there's not that much gore because this is 1968 but the gore that it does have there's like one scene that's pretty gory that was pretty interesting to say the least for 1968 but overall i think if this was my first ever zombie film it would have really captured me but of course i've seen dawn of the dead i've seen the walking dead i've seen resident evil we've seen a good we've even reviewed a couple of the zombie flicks on this podcast and i think because of that it hindered my enjoyment a little bit of the film but because it is the first i can give it its respect full-fledged
0: made with a budget of just a hundred and fourteen thousand dollars and it made back uh 30 million
1: yeah that's definitely a success
0: 100%. Making it one of the most profitable uh, independent films of all time. Unfortunately, George Romero never got to see any of that money. In fact, he, he says he's only got to see very little of it because he was not a businessman. The uh, guys who uh, helped profit the film basically got to keep all that. Almost like he basically, George got scammed in, in a sense.
1: Now, you said one of the... Are you sure it's not the most profitable? Well, the only
0: one... Yeah, one of, because the only one I could think of that made a shit ton of money would be Blair Witch Project.
1: But Blair Witch did more than Night of the Living Dead?
0: Blair Witch was made, with, I think, what, 10000 20000 and made back, like, uh, nine figures.
1: Okay, I stand corrected. But you're also talking inflation, though, because that movie came out 30 years after Night of the Living Dead. So $30 yeah. million. In
0: so 19- if you were to compare the budget to today, it says here, equivalent to 2022... Uh, the budget for Night of the Living Dead would have been nine hundred and forty one thousand eight hundred. It would have made back uh, two hundred and forty seven point eight million.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's that's a lot of money.
0: yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the basic uh, it's a very basic plot. I read the storyline here they have on uh, IMDB, Barbara, her main character, and Johnny, her brother visit their father's grave in a remote cemetery when they are suddenly set upon by zombies. Barbara manages to get away and take refuge in what seems to be an abandoned farmhouse. She is soon joined by Ben, who stopped at the house in need of gas. Beset by the walking dead all around them, Ben does his best to secure the doors and windows. The news reports are grim, however, with creatures returning to life everywhere. Barbara and Ben are surprised when they realize there are five people hiding, hiding in the basement. Harry, Helen, and Karen Cooper, and a young couple, Tom and Judy. Ascensions set in almost immediately when Harry Cooper wanted to be in charged. As their situation deteriorates, their chances of surviving the night lessen minute by minute. Obviously, one of the big uh, cast standouts is actor Dwayne Jones, who plays Ben. He is the only black actor in the film. In fact, he is the leading guy in the movie, if you want to say. And some and according going into the film with the auditions. Originally, the character Ben was not written uh, like this. He was supposed to be a truck driver. I think he was supposed to be kind of like more angry and grrrr. But once uh, Dwayne Jones auditioned, George Romero rewrote the character to kind of fit more of uh, Dwayne Jones' personality. So he fit uh, more into the character. And all the anger, I guess, went to Harry Cooper, who's kind of like more the, the demanding father.
1: Yeah. He he kind of reminded me in some ways of some of the characters that Samuel L. Jackson plays for Quentin Tarantino's films. The the one with the most dignity, the one with the most sense in the whole entire uh, group. But uh, yeah, is this why this was going to be our first movie venturing into uh, Black History Month?
0: yes uh obviously for is one because it's such a i mean when it comes to horror films and zombies i mean like night of the living dead's a no-brainer and uh and it has a leading uh black actor which is kind of unheard of at the time because the only leading actor i guess i was big at that time would probably be cindy poitier and originally this film i mean the only mainstream co- movie studio i was willing to distribute uh distribute the film was uh columbia pictures but right. columbia pictures passed on it because it was black and white and of course by of course late 60s all films are being done in color so they just seem like eh, we're not interested put in color you know black and white is so last year
1: which is kind of ironic because i think about another decade later wasn't there a movie i think it was called elephant man that was black and white
0: yes i think that was the early 80s yes
1: yeah so i had probably a different company of course but
0: I think that was a TV movie, I want to say.
1: Elephant Man? Uh, it says here it was a bio, biographical drama film, but it doesn't say it was a TV film. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm trying to go to the Wikipedia now, and no, it was released in theaters because a budget of $5 million and made $26 million in North America.
0: Mm, okay.
1: Distributed by... Wait, you said Columbia was the one that refused to do um, Night of the Living Dead because it was black and white? Yeah. Columbia EMI Warner distributors of the United Kingdom is the ones who distributed Elephant Man. <laughs> so kind of ironic how they went against their principles 10 years later. But then again, in the United States, it was distributed by Paramount.
0: Yep, it says Columbia Pictures was the only major Hollywood studio interested in distributing this film, but eventually passed because it was in black and white at a time when movies had to compete with new color televisions. Columbia did distribute the 1990 color remake of Night of Living Dead. Hmm. American International Pictures considered releasing the film, but wanted George Romero to shoot an upbeat ending and add more of a love story subplot. And that was a very big thing with George Romero. He did not want to lose his creative control card. Yeah. Because that was definitely what made the film stand out was the ending.
1: Well, the ending was pretty dark.
0: Yes, it was very dark. I think, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised that was another reason why Columbia didn't want to release it, distribute it, because it was just it was like, that's the end? Like, because you gotta realize, this is the late 60s. There was no such thing as a final girl yet. and I remember when I first saw this film several years back, that shocked me. When Barbara died. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously she saw her brother get killed. I think the zombie knocked him out, he dropped him on the tombstone. And and throughout the rest of the movie, for the most part, she was a mute. And there was yes. one scene where they were like locked in the house, and she's like, "We gotta go get my brother. He's still out there, still alive." And then Ben just knocked her out, slapped her. Which Sla- again, again at that time, a black man hitting a white woman.
1: Yeah, he he really contradicted a lot of big uh, no nos back at that time. Like again, the film is very simple. Because, as you said, the film starts off with uh, Barbara and her brother John, which, by the way, every time I go to IMDb, I cannot find who played John. It doesn't seem like there's any information on who played him. And... I mean,
0: obviously, you know, George used a lot of local actors. Right. But
1: for a movie that was this successful, you would think there would be at least a tad bit of information on said individual. even No. It's, it's crazy. So, yeah, they're, they're out and about at a cemetery. And all of a sudden they see a zombie that comes by and attacks both of them. And, of course, John gets killed in the rampage. He runs into Sanctuary, which was a farmhouse, which was also inhabited by Ben. And Ben is trying to, like, communicate with her. And like you said, she's mute throughout a good chunk of the film. And he's the one trying to build the sanctuary, trying to protect it. And all of a sudden, in the basement, you start to see a bunch of other people start to come up. Um,
0: Tom, Judy was a young couple. Harry was the mean guy. Uh, Helen was the mother. And then you had their sick daughter in the basement. It was never said how she got sick, what she got sick from. Mm-hmm. I would assume she may have gotten bitten by one of the zombies
1: that's what i assumed that she got bit and they were just hoping that she would recover and would you really consider harry the mean guy i think he he meant well but he was just so stubborn and stuck in his ways
0: yeah he was very stubborn i mean he at all the whole movie go in the bay, let's just go in the cellar we'll be safe there he just seemed like he was someone you really couldn't negotiate with he was set on his ways It was a cellar, and that was that
1: yeah yeah and They're, yeah, they're having this big argument, and of course, they, on the news, they're promoting the idea that, yeah, this is happening everywhere. People, when they get, when they die, they come right back to life and start killing people. I don't even think the term zombie was used in the movie. I think they were just.
0: It was never used. I was, Romero specifically said he didn't want that term used. They were used as, they used the term flesh eaters.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Walking Dead kind of followed suit because they called them walkers. They never used the term zombie in those films either. Or in the show either. Yeah, the show took a
0: lot of notes from this uh, movie. Obviously, the big one being that once you die, you don't necessarily have to get bit to become a zombie. Once you die of anything, you automatically get uh, resurrected or reanimated as a zombie or a flesh eater or a corpse or whatever.
1: Yeah. And so, they're trying to keep up with how they can... uh, get out of this situation and the one thing is is on the news they uh they broadcast that here's the the sanctuaries that we recommend you guys go to now keep this in mind this is like 1968. so when they're trying to watch the tv they got to mess with the bunny ears on the tv to get it to work they've got the old school radios blasting they've got um what else do they have they don't have gps's they don't have cell phones that they can call people on This is the late 60s. And the the phone line was dead, so they couldn't call the police or anything like that. I should have said, because there was one scene in here that was pretty graphic, which was uh, when uh, Barbara first gets into that building and she runs up the stairs, she sees a fucking skeleton face completely devoured.
0: Yes, and that was made by George Romero. He used ping pong balls
1: for the eyes. For 1968, that's pretty fucking deep. So... And I yeah. think that's
0: another thing that turned off all the studio. At the time, graphic, you know, blood and gore was not... I mean, the mainstream audience was not ready for that. As Michael J. Fox sent it back to the future. I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But
1: your kids are going to love it. Yep. And, yeah, sure as hell, they were, he was right on that one. But, um, yeah, so they are about to leave, and the young couple... How does it go... Uh, the young couple try to go into a car...
0: Well, yeah. And, the plan was that the car was running out, has no gas. They mentioned yeah. that there is a gas in the back because it's a farm. The guy has a gas pump, but it's locked. So we gotta basically run out, drive the car to the gas pump, fill it up, and then come back to the house, get grab everyone, and then just go until we can find to a rescue town, rescue, just go, ahead, get help. That was the plan.
1: Yeah. And so they go into the car, and the car explodes.
0: Yeah. What happened was, um, Tom. So let's just be Tom and Ben, the the guy, the young couple, and of course Ben. Where they were, they were gonna go, but the very last minute, Judy went out, and it turns out that was the worst thing that could happen because she basically caused the death of her, of herself and her boyfriend. So they go to the gas pump. The key that they got doesn't work. So uh, Ben said, "Move out of the way." Bam! He shot the lock off, which unfortunately I think he also did damage to the to the uh, gas pump. So when he took the thing out, the gasoline was already leaking, and unfortunately, it was leaking onto um his torch. So that already set fire. So right there, the plane already went to shit. So they have to get out of there. So Tom drove the car off, and Benjiana, I'm like, get out of the car. It's going to explode. So he gets out of the car, but his girlfriend Judy stuck. He went goes back to the car to go look at her, and boom, the car explodes, killing them both. Yeah. And now Ben's by himself, off to fend for himself. So it's just him and his gun. So he has to go all the way back to the house while being, while trying to go through a zombie horde. Eventually makes it back, but Harry doesn't want to open the door because Harry, again, throughout the whole film, he's like, he, he comes up very selfish, right to himself. He doesn't really like Ben because he wants to be the one in charge. And yeah. Of course, Ben have argued, but eventually he kind of lets Ben in the very last minute. But by that point, he got to the door. Ben already no. Ben broke the door down. And so yeah. him and him and Harry, you know, locked the door up, and then that's when he get into a fist fight. You son of a bitch! You didn't open the door. You left me out there to die.
1: Now I know the daughter does succumb to her disease, and she starts attacking his wife. Is it, if I recall correctly, she does kill the wife, doesn't she?
0: Ah, uh, yeah. This was um, that happened a few moments later, because at this point the zombies were breaking into the house, because it was getting more and more so. The only way, I mean, it's, it's ironic because throughout the whole film, Harry was saying the, the cellar, the cellar, the cellar. And Ben's like, I'm not interested. You know, we're best, our best bet is up here, so it would be a better chance for us to escape. Because going to the cellar, there's only one way out, and that's the door that's going upstairs. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah so the zombies come in. Ben and Harry. Harry was ready to lock the door again, but Ben shot him. Shot. He shot Harry, and Harry eventually he goes to the basement to be with his daughter, and then it cuts back to upstairs. Helen eventually, the wife, goes back downstairs to be with her daughter, but then when she goes back downstairs, she sees her daughter feeding on her husband, and yeah. then eventually uh, the daughter stabs her mother and ends up feeding on her.
1: Now, what happened? I forgot what happened to Barbara.
0: Barbara was helping Ben trying to keep the house together. But then she sees her brother as a zombie.
1: Yeah, okay, yeah. And she obviously got her emotions in the way.
0: Yeah, but her brother grabs her, and eventually the whole horde of zombies end up feeding on her, which that was a shocker to me, because I thought she was supposed to be the last one to survive, since we got introduced to her and her brother first in the movie.
1: Yeah, and this is where Yeah. went completely random, because... It shows the next day Ben is still somewhat in the house.
0: Yeah, Ben. Uh, before we get to that, uh, Ben. So Ben is shocked. Like, oh god, it's just me. The daughter comes back upstairs as a zombie, almost uh, biting Ben. Ben throws her on the couch, locks the cellar door, and uh, with his shotgun, he kills off uh, Harry and Helen since they both got resurrected as zombies. And he just and he just camps down there for the rest of the night until uh, I guess help comes on the way. Then the next morning comes. That's when we see the town. The townsmen people with their rifles. I mean, tell me that Second Amendment is there for a reason.
1: Yeah. They're there with their rifles, trying to kill off all of the quote-unquote zombies and walkers. And one of them sees Ben in the building, assuming that it's another zombie. So he shoots him dead. Yeah. So literally everybody that you got to know in this movie that you connected with, whether in a positive or negative light, all died in a horrific way.
0: Yep, so. and you can see through uh, still shots at the end, they drag his body using meat hooks, then they throw him into the pile of zombies, and then they um,
1: burn him. Unbelievable, man.
0: That is <laughs> a I, I can see that. be. That's why they wanted to take away George's creative control card. They wanted to change all that.
1: Yeah, sometimes you just got to let the artists create the art and let them sink or swim with their art. And obviously for Georgia paid off because this movie did very successful.
0: I mean, very successful. It, it became, <laughs> I mean, again, it became part of pop pop culture. No one knew that going into it, coming out of this was going to be a huge cultural hit.
1: Keep this in mind. That scene where the the couple goes into the car and it blows up. That was a clear four years before Godfather, where Mike Corleone's girlfriend from Sicily gets blown up. So they were doing this before the Godfather.
0: Yeah, and then later, um, uh, you see the zombies go into the burnt car and they started eating them.
1: Yeah, they started eating their parts. I remember they go in the car and they're pulling out parts left and right.
0: Movie, yeah, I know for the blood in this film, uh, they used uh, chocolate syrup.
1: Well, you could get away with that it was black and white. So, yeah, you could use pretty much anything mm-hmm. um, that looks real dark. But, yeah, it's not a long movie. It's like an hour and 30-something minutes. Uh, but, yeah, it's a very, for the time, unconventional film. It just did not follow any rules whatsoever. Yeah. So to its credit it, it, it is a ballsy movie but as i said for me to have watched a good chunk of zombie stuff prior to this it obviously hindered from me enjoying it to that extent but i could definitely see this movie hitting quite a few nerves back in 1968.
0: yeah my mother and, to this day she says uh, i remember i was going out on halloween my mom's like you know they're showing of living dead i was like oh that's cool you should watch it and, I, and she was like I can't watch that by myself. That movie still scares me. Hmm. Obviously she was exposed to it as a young child and...
1: Right, right. The thing is, is that I think the movie benefits from being black and white.
0: I think so too.
1: The only thing that's kind of like, eh, cause the zombies don't really look like zombies. They look like ordinary people. So you wouldn't, you couldn't tell if they're zombies today. They just look like regular people with maybe a torn shirt. That's why, again, I, I call it the golden eye of of zombie films, because it's the, obviously it's the predecessor. It is the OG. It has to be respected for being able to give the platform to the ones that came after it. But it is still showing its date. It's obviously a dated film, and it's a film that I would say, if you haven't watched any zombie films, it's best to start with this one. Yeah,
0: originally Tom Savini Romero wanted Tom Savini to do the special effects for this film, but Savini was unavailable because he was in Vietnam. Oh,
1: damn. So, wait. If Tom Savini was in Vietnam, what was George Romero's dumb ass doing in America? (laughs) Not in Vietnam. Exactly. This
0: This film got released, I think, a couple weeks after the assassination of MLK. Well,
1: to be fair, I heard that you could have been rejected for the draft in Vietnam for the dumbest of reasons. I knew a a guy that was around during the time of Vietnam when you could have been drafted. They denied him because his finger, his ring finger was slightly bent backwards from football. And you wouldn't notice until he pointed it out, but he he suffered some sort of injury in football that just made his finger slightly bent. He could still use it and everything. But just from the visual, of that they denied him access to the war.
0: Yeah, I mean back then they were very picky, you know, with the criteria of joining the military. Whether if you if you had um, any type of disease, any anything that was going to hold you back, they didn't want you.
1: Oh, that's the same way today. I, I today
0: I don't know if it's like that today because now no one wants to join the military. Well, I don't and think they any changed person. their criteria so much to fit the message.
1: Yeah, well, let's not. Die too deep yeah, away. I don't want to dive too but much into that, but but the point is, is that Night of the Living Dead is definitely a movie that I would definitely recommend as your first zombie movie if you've never watched any zombie movie. Because if you watch any really well done zombie movie after this one, it may hinder your enjoy enjoyment. Yeah, definitely start with this one.
0: Now the writers Now obviously George Romero was a director The writers to this film were Romero himself And another writer by the name of John Russo No relations to the Russo brothers No relations to Vince
1: I was about to say that he like Is his middle name Bro?
0: Uh, His middle name starts with A So a And bro? it was John B. Russo
1: <laughs> Maybe it could be A. Bro A <laughs> Yeah Why not? And you know what's funny? Because you said this movie is revolutionary because it spawned the the zombie movie. That same year, 2001 Space Odyssey came out, and most people would uh, attribute that movie to really advancing the sci-fi uh, genre.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned the Oscars last week about people getting snubbed. Do you realize Stanley Kubrick never won Best Director in his career? Interesting. Never. I mean, eventually we'll get to A Clockwork Orange.
1: Yes, that is a movie I definitely want to touch upon on this podcast.
0: I mean, talk about not being snubbed. Fuck. Yeah. But, I mean, George Romero, I mean, I mentioned the reason I mentioned the writers because I don't know how true this is. Eventually, these two had a fallen out, Russo and Romero. And Russo trademarked the name title Living Dead to where Romero could never use that title in any of his movies. There's a reason it's called Dawn of the Dead and not Dawn of the Living Dead. Or Day of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. I think Russo thought by doing that he'd fuck over Romero. Ha ha! You ain't gonna have no more of a career, R- Romero. Shoot. But one thing he undermined is that Romero was a very talented screenwriter. I mean, if you look at Romero's credentials compared to Russo's credentials, you can tell who was the more talented one of the two.
1: Well, yes, I think you'd have to be living under a rock to not know who George Romero is.
0: Now, people's Now, I, I mean, we may give Russo credit because he was the one that came up with the idea that they should be cannibalists, feeding on the flesh of the living. Okay, Russo's a guy that had a, had a good idea. And I don't know how much of the writing he did for the film, but clearly, I mean, Romero was the real brains or the real heart and soul of the project and all the other projects that he did after.
1: Well, not just that, but what, what was that game that came out on the Xbox 360, which was just virtually... Uh, dawn of the dead where you're in a mall
0: um dead rising i think
1: dead rising yeah so it's clear as day that george romero definitely had his hands in really inspiring that whole entire zombie franchise
0: yeah and when walking dead was around they wanted romero to direct an episode and he respectfully declined yeah i think by that point he was kind of numb of the whole zombie genre i know he's had his opinions over the years um i know he prefers walking zombies over running zombies because he feels with walking zombies you can do a lot more you can have a lot when it comes to walking zombies you can really cast anyone to play a zombie right but when it comes to running zombies you've got to cast people who can run
1: and not only that when zombies run it just comes off goofy whereas the way they walk just comes off more scary even if you can outrun them just seeing them walking towards you even if you're outrunning them it's just got that unsettling feeling and to know that there's others walking just like that somewhere else. hmm It's just there's, there's more of an unsettling feeling when they're walking like that. As opposed to when they run. Like, if you watch that movie, uh, it was also based on a game. It came out in the early 2000s, and it was so heavily panned. House of the Dead. All those zombies in that movie start running, and it just looks Weird. I just prefer them walking. They don't need to run.
0: The thing is, I'm not against running zombies. I mean, there have been pro movies, I mean, 28 Days Later. I don't know if you've ever seen I, that.
1: I have. I saw it once. That was where I discovered that Sylvia Murphy was actually Irish.
0: Yes, that's his uh, very first film.
1: Yeah, because every film I'd seen with Cillian Murphy, he always either had a British or American accent. So I figured he was either British or American, but fucking found out he was Irish.
0: That would that did it well. I mean, I, even Zack Snyder's *Dawn of the Dead* remake.
1: Uh, I did see that too, the remake of *Dawn of the Dead*. But uh, yeah, um, the uh, the the whole zombie genre is just like so fucking. Especially after the success of Walking Dead has just become far beyond. I don't know who can now write a zombie franchise and make it any better at this point. Because, again, George Romero has since passed away. Yeah. Get... So. And, of
0: course, um, uh, Train to Busan was probably the last great one,
1: I would say. Actually, there was a movie called Wreck, which I really enjoyed.
0: Ooh, yes, yes, Wreck too. Yeah,
1: yeah think that's a movie we should do if it's available
0: yeah it's a it combines zombies with the idea of found footage
1: right I, just, you I really not
0: really two together there you go
1: I really like that one obviously we would have to wait a bit because this is Black History Month so mm-hmm. but yeah um, this movie like I said it's it's a decent film to start off with with zombies because it's the first yeah but uh, definitely don't watch this in, in don't watch this after you've done your research on other films and watch those and I'm not talking about the shit ones I'm talking about actual good ones even that George Romero did later such as uh, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead and shit like that you, you need to watch this one first to really un- understand because that's where my problem was I saw this after I had seen some good zombie uh, stories played out
0: yeah. Um, there is a remake of this film that came out in 1990. Tom Savini uh, directed it. Uh, Tony Todd, the Candyman, uh, plays the role of Ben in that film. And that was before he uh, got the part of Candyman. Uh, it's it's not too bad. I know uh, on the Tom Savini in his documentary, he talked about making this and it was supposed to be a lot better than it was. I know he was going through, he had a lot of personal shit going at the time that eventually kind of took away his enjoyment out of making this film and I I don't know if he looks too fondly at it but I didn't think it was that bad
1: as I said you're your own worst critic that's probably what it is
0: and um, I know the scene where um, when Ben shot Harry originally Harry was going to turn into a zombie and he was going to and when Helen goes downstairs she was going to find her husband eating their daughter
1: oh my god Oh my God, that'd be really pushing the limit at that point.
0: That's why they didn't do it. because uh, I think that's taking it too far.
1: Yeah, that that totally would have been a Russo thing. <laughs> Russo thing. <laughs> yeah, I could totally see Like, bro, bro, nobody will see it coming. Okay. You you have to have the father feasting on the daughter after the daughter is dead. It, it's the only way. The only way. Who's who's going to complain about it? Who who? <laughs> could, I could see it. I could see Vince Russo pitching that now. Or who is it? Jack Russo? No, it's John his John long Russo. Lost, his long lost uh, half brother. Oh.
0: And I'm not sure what happened that eventually made this film go public domain. Something went terribly wrong where, like, now anyone could use this film in any of their movies without having to pay a single penny. I mean, freak, we can make an ind- we can make a movie right now and show it, and we won't get in trouble.
1: I guess because it was such an independent film, I, I don't know.
0: So, something happened. I don't know the whole backstory behind that, but I know uh, the very first zombie that we saw in the movie. Uh, I believe that actor passed away in 2007, 2000. I know in the late 2000s, because he was still showing up at like zombie cons, dressed up in the same way he did in the original film. And um, he, he see, and when he was interviewed in that documentary, comes with like a very swell guy. Uh, his name is Bill Heisman. It makes me wonder, man, if he if he stayed alive probably for like another couple of years, you know damn well The Walking Dead would have called him. Hey, you want to make a cameo?
1: Oh, yeah, to be a zombie or some sh- shit. Mm-hmm. I can't speak today. Yeah, they would have made him into a zombie of some sorts.
0: And I know Barbara, the actress, is still alive. She's in her 80s. She was born in 45 or 47. Hmm. Not many of them. I wonder if they ever asked her to appear in The Walking Dead. I would have thought, like, if any of those actors are still alive, the Walking Dead crew would have tried to contact as many of them as they can. Because I'm pretty sure I would think they all still live in, in like, around the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania. And that's, like, a five-hour or six-hour drive from where I live, so.
1: Yeah, who knows? Who who really knows? Because, as you said, they used a lot of local people to do this film. So, um... Yeah, who knows what they're up to nowadays and how they're living the good life after uh, starring in what would be one of the biggest independent films ever.
0: Yeah, one of the biggest, one of the greatest, and one of the most influential films of all time. And fans, I mean, if you can't find Nine of the Living Dead streaming anywhere, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing wrong?
1: Yeah, it was pretty easy to find.
0: This film is literally everywhere. It's on Peacock, it's on Tubi, it's on freaking HBO Max, it's on YouTube! Black and white and colored versions. I've never seen the colored version of it.
1: Yeah, now I'm interested to see the colored uh, That just sounds wrong. The colored version. <laughs> sounds so wrong. Anyways, didn't mean to sound woke.
0: So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, thumbs up from the both of us. It's definitely a film I would show to a young child. <laughs> Crazy now, back then, you'd be like, why are you going to show them something this gory? But yeah, I mean, with everything that's out, this film is really, I think, would be a nice testing the waters. If you want to get them into the horror genre, the zombie genre, I think Night of the Living Dead is a great, excellent start.
1: Yeah, I would say this or Halloween would be the two quintessential horror films to start off with.
0: Mm-hmm. Even, I mean, at least with this film, there's no nudity too as well if you're like i don't want my child seeing that's you know it's understandable
1: yeah i think halloween does have nudity like partial like,
0: yes yeah, like a, a couple nipples here and there yeah yeah. but overall obviously without a doubt night of living dead is a film that started all i mean obviously you know when red they wanted to make a live action resident evil movie who do you think they went to romero and he and he almost made one and i'm not sure what the update on that documentary is i'm pretty sure i think so it's come out this year the, uh, the what-if of uh, George Romero's Resident Evil zombie movie would have been made. I'll definitely be watching that when that drops.
1: Uh, it probably would have reduced my sanity when reviewing the Resident Evil film if it was done by George Romero. Yeah.
0: He did direct the uh, commercial for uh, Resident Evil 2 in Japan. A little known <sighs> fact, you didn't know that. So in a way, he did direct something Resident Evil related in the end, even though it was just right. a commercial. yeah. Uh, of course, Romero went on to have a uh, a great career. I mean, one of my favorite horror movies ever uh, was Creepshow. That was practically that was his first Hollywood movie because for the most part he was an independent guy, and you know a lot. And the reason he was for so long is because it was just that creative control card. He likes to make the film that you know he he wants to make the film he's gonna appreciate. He doesn't want no studio had to tell him how he should do certain things. But you know when you when a studio when you have the backing of a major studio like Warner Brothers, it's says yeah you can do whatever you want. Sure, I mean you know you're gonna get some magic and with Stephen King involved, yeah you're gonna get some pretty great stuff. And Cremeshell is another film I. I mean we're gonna do eventually whenever it drops anywhere. But yeah, uh, Night of the Living Dead, the first of the zombie universe that um, all the I don't know if you know this, but all the zombie films that Romero directed all take place in the same universe.
1: I did not know that. Uh... Yes. We'll have, to, I guess, we'll have to go over them when we get the chance.
0: Yeah, because I don't know what our next film's gonna be. Uh, we could find any good black horror streaming anywhere, but if not, our next uh, film I would like to also do is the original Dawn of the Dead, and the starring actor in that movie is uh, the father from Keaton and Kel, Ken Foray.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
0: One of You're his breakthrough uh, roles. Original.
1: Ropes. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And
0: and he had hair
1: he had oh my god unbelievable
0: so uh, yeah dawn of the dead i i think that i think that's on youtube Hope you do. so uh yeah we don't find anything we'll definitely uh we'll hit that movie up next um mm-hmm. uh, of the living dead obviously two thumbs up from us check it out i mean jesus go watch the damn movie it's a classic it's one of the greatest independent horrors of all
1: time just don't watch it after any other zombie film you need to watch it first to really understand it, because that's where I fell short.
0: It's a landmark movie. So, with that said, go check it out. For Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. We're going to wrap this one up. They're coming to get you, Barbara.